Hello and welcome to our FIS podcast, Castaway, keeping you in the know on the shipping and commodity worlds where we're all at home quarantined. We know that working and business has changed dramatically in the past couple of months, so developing a range of resources to help keep you up to date on everything happening. If you'd like to find out more, you can visit our website, www.freightinvestorservices.com, or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Hello, welcome back again to our podcast, Castaway. Uh, we have in the office with myself, uh, Alex, uh, and also our head of our new cross-commodity execution desk at FIS, uh, Alistair. Uh, also, all the way from Singapore, uh, we have our director of Asia, Tom. Thank you guys for all joining us today. Morning. Hello. Morning, guys. So a little overview of today's podcast. We're going to start with our review of the news stories which have caught our eye this week or uh, are illustrating some points which are definitely of interest to, to people in the commodity world. Uh, then we're moving on to our usual headline commodity overview of the main commodities that we do here or, or stories therein of, uh, of market movements. Uh, before moving to our main feature of the day where today we're looking at cross commodities and of course have our our expert of our new desk here to uh, give some insight into some historic things he's looked at and some things which he's looking at at the moment. So uh, first of all, let's go uh, straight into our news stories. Uh, Alex, should we start with you, your news story? And yours is about the Great British Pound. Sure, it's from the FT. It's a little bit dated. It's from the end of June. And it's a tiny bit of a clickbait headline, uh, but that's why I chose it. And the headline is, the pound is becoming an emerging market currency, says Bank of America analyst. Um, it starts with the pound is now an emerging market currency in all but name, according to analysts at Bank of America. In the four years since the UK voted to leave the EU, trading conditions in the pound and big swings in exchange rates make it a, ma- a better match with the Mexican peso than the US dollar, said Kamal Sharma. Um, I don't know if this was designed to actually just get his name in the in the papers or, or if this is a real sort of indication of where Sterling is going. But um, it goes on to sort of highlight another quote that he's got, which says, we believe sterling is evolving into a currency that resembles the underlying reality of the British economy, small and shrinking with a growing dual deficit problem. So obviously this, this article from Mr. Sharma grabs quite uh, a bit of attention. Um, and that's, I think that's what he intended. And uh, the article says that sterling plunged to a multi-decade low against a dollar in mid-March before recovering after the US Fed Reserve um, stepped in. Um, so, I mean, I think there's a lot of truth to the to the article. I think the, the sterling is reflecting the condition that the UK is in. But to call it to call it an emerging market and to sort of compare it to not lesser currencies but currencies that reflect weaker economies, I don't think it's entirely fair. I don't know if anyone's got any other thoughts about it, but I think to, in my I personally think sterling still holds strong and it's a it's a currency that that is yet to um, devalue to the extent where it can be labeled as emerging market. There was something in The Economist, I think, this week or last about the power of the dollar and China's ambitions to become a global reserve currency. And in that, I think, uh, remember rightly, I think the, the sterling still makes up about 6% of global reserves in terms of currency reserves. So it still has significant holdings globally so i think uh, <laughs> to call it yeah. a uh, an emerging markets currency is a is a little stretch as you say but yeah, a bit of a clickbait headline i thought there it does represent i guess people's difficulty with the political upheaval uh, things which which markets didn't expect i remember on, on the night when you saw the pound rise before then results coming out through some other poll which came out which said that they voted to remain inside and you know it's something which is going against what people thought was going to happen yeah uh, and maybe he's just uh, 
a sour. Maybe he was on the other side of that bet and he's particularly well sour be, about yeah. what's happened and has thrown in the insults of what's happening now. But uh, let's move on. Tom, you have an article about moving your staff away from Hong Kong, talking about political instability. Uh, yes, um, article from the BBC uh, talking about how the New York Times has announced uh, today or yesterday that it will start to move uh, a not insignificant number of its staff away from its Hong Kong Asia hub to Seoul. Um, so sort of just highlighting the continuation of the the theme that we've been talking about with regards to Hong Kong as those tensions have increased and increased. Um, and, you know, some of the discussion we've been having around Will Hong Kong maintain its presence as a sort of global financial harbour? You know, the access to to China that it's provided for so long, is that going to be so important if Hong Kong is basically just China proper now? Uh, And New York Times is sort of voting with their feet pretty early on as the sort of press freedoms are being hammered down straight away and uh, saying it's not a a good place to, to have their journalists and not a good hub for journalism. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if others follow suits, whether that's journalists, newspapers, or, or if um, more sort of financial institutions start to follow as well. Following that up, there was actually quite uh, another piece, uh, I think it on Bloomberg, about how uh, China will be bringing in Chinese, uh, a sort of tax levy uh, for uh, for Hong Kong as well. So I think the, the sort of real tax that you will pay as a high earner in Hong Kong will go from 15% to 48% uh, apparently. Uh, so I think there'll be a bit that there's worry now about a flight of talent and a bit of a brain drain in Hong Kong as the sort of high paid white collar work that has built the economy there in the last sort of three, four decades looks to opportunities elsewhere in the region uh, if they're going to be taxed so aggressively. So, um, yeah, just a continuation of what we've been talking about and uh, what's happening in Hong Kong and, and big companies starting to to do what we've sort of suggested they might and, uh, and exit. And Tom, have you seen any impacts of that with, with Singapore, in Singapore, of, of companies looking to, to move or inquiries at all? Um, I mean, the property market would suggest that, uh, no, it hasn't happened yet from talking to uh, to the commercial agents out here. Um, we're looking at our our um, our property at the moment, whether we stay or move. Uh, so we've had some fairly at length conversations around the commercial market. And it seems that it's not being reflected as yet. But um, I, think, I think I mentioned it on a couple of podcasts ago, the sort of the inflow of funds into um, businesses that are expected to do well out of Hong Kong's troubles in Singapore have started to um, really get quite bid up. So the Singaporean banks that are would, would benefit uh, a lot of the um, FX stuff would benefit. That's all started to get heavily backed uh, in the ETF and the, and the equity space. So it's being reflected in that space. But from the conversations I've had with commercial real estate in the last uh, few weeks, it's, it's not flowing through there just yet. Which, I, But I think that is more symptomatic of sort of COVID rather than anything else. Yes, Ellie. I'm sure you'll be the first person to tell us when it is happening. Oh, absolutely. We'll breath, <laughs> uh, oh, you'll hear it here first. Uh, let's move on to uh, the last story, news story, which is somewhat related Uh, Mine this week, which is from the FT as well, um, about the sanctions which have been imposed from China uh, on on the US, on US lawmakers. So I'm sure that uh, 
um, there's some there's some people who are pretty pretty annoyed. I I know that um, that Ted Cruz was uh, taken to Twitter to exclaim his uh, annoyance the fact that he can't now can't uh, take his summer holiday in in Beijing after visiting Tehran. So I'm not sure too many of those Republicans who have been sanctions are, are, are too annoyed about things, but it does seem to mark again a new start after the virus kind of disrupted everything of those those trade war talks, uh, all of this kind of posturing between China as it tries to assert itself as a global power against uh, you know, US, which has been like that since the end of the, of the Second World War. So again, looking at this, what sort of impacts that has, especially the trade wars on a lot of the quantities, uh, oil demands, um, generally for others in terms of big commodities such as soybean in the US, which exports to China, it could have quite a, a big impact if this starts to escalate belong, uh, beyond um, some some political sanctions. But uh, something, again, to keep an eye on, which is, has moved from specific trade talk wars to to invading a lot of other things um, you've seen in the UK, which has now pushed to uh, exclude Huawei from its um, telecoms network, which is going to be excluded by um, 2027, uh, I read yesterday. So a lot of these things are starting to evade um, between relationships of, of US and China, US and its allies uh, and China and those countries which support uh, China at the UN from, from the sanctions or the condemnation of what's happened in Hong Kong. Uh, which is again, which is related to the Belt and Road Initiative. You can probably map over each one, those areas that receive a lot of investment from China and those which uh, didn't condemn what's happening in Hong Kong is somewhat uh, highly correlated. But uh, again, something to, to keep an eye on what's happening with, with those tensions of the two largest uh, economies in the world. And uh, as you wanted to point out a story you've seen on, on carbon just briefly. Um, absolutely. Just um, watching uh, carbon as I do after opening uh, the ICAP carbon desk many years ago, always paid attention to it. And it's worth a mention that it broke the 14 year high on Monday and traded above 30 euros for the first time. Um, the, which is quite a spectacular move considering it was trading at 15 euros back in March when uh, with the COVID hit, hit uh, global uh, scale, uh, the, with all the um, with all the uh, businesses closing down, um, the allowances um, took a took a real heavy hit, uh, but it's bounced back very uh, very well. Partly due to the European um, bailout, which is really pushing toward which a lot of, a lot of the bailout is going to include um, climate sort of change uh, measures, which has um, really helped uh, the price to move back up. Um, talk of the um, Less allowances being uh, in the market uh, going forward, um, stricter stricter um, measures um, put on the uh, producers of the carbon. Uh, so that's one to keep an eye on, especially with the um, allowances possibly coming into play for some of the uh, shipping uh, companies going forward over the next few years. Yeah, exactly. So, so we brought that news story up um, last week. I think it was Kerry talking about those uh, EU lawmakers putting that into it. So it's a really good cross view of uh, different different markets and the impact. But let's bring it back to, to Tom and let's talk about some of our main markets. Um, iron ore. Yes. Our, uh, the market we have followed and it's slow but uncharacteristic ascent compared to other commodities from the, the whole life of this podcast. What's happening at the moment? 
Uh, carnage again, really, uh, Chris. Um, we've seen it um, accelerate further and further, even from last week's highs that we were talking about. Um, so um, a continuation of the theme from last week, really. It came off a little bit this morning, um, but prices are still uh, very elevated um, across the board. Um, what's been driving that, really? Um, again, I think extension of what we were talking about last week uh, in terms of uh, China injecting the animal spirits into the um, equity market and some of that flowing through um, into uh, the commodity space, but particularly iron ore. Um, I think what we talked about last week was the fundamentals pointing to, you know, what should be a fundamentally weaker iron ore price. Um, but one of the things that was highlighted to me in the last couple of days was that you know, steel margins are still very, very healthy. Um, and as long as margins stay healthy, there's no incentive for the mills to stop producing. Uh, so even though we're looking at exports having declined, China steel exports, a year on year decline of um, 16.5%. Um, they're still producing it and they're still making good margin on it. So the reality is until oil or freight or other the sort of composite parts of the steel process start to get really, really expensive and eat into that margin, I don't think we can really expect to see too much uh, price reduction at the moment. Uh, fundamentally, I feel it has to happen. Uh, the fundamentals just can't keep be, keep pointing to you know the, the price the price action in the way in the way that we're seeing it, uh, and there be, and there not be a correction, but it would take a very very brave person to to be selling into this at the moment. Um, from the supply side, uh, we talked about shipments from the major producers last week. So, um, Vale, Rio Tinto, uh, BHP, FMG, uh, the main guys, their their numbers, their their import numbers uh, into the end of June, first week of July were were massive. Um, that being driven, I think, as Kerry's mentioned a few times, by the end of the financial year in Australia, uh, you know, pushing the miners to, to, to get as much out in the year as they can. But um, that's come off aggressively uh, in the first few weeks of, of July. Uh, so we're down 12% uh, on the previous week. Um, so shipments are, are, are coming off. Um, the Vale thing that I think is worth talking about is that... Um, Vale will release its uh, Q2 2020 financial performance at the end of July. Uh, so it'll be worth paying attention to that. We've talked about Vale's sort of chokehold on the on the market and, and how important it is for, for iron ore price at the moment uh, and how important it is that they keep producing for the, the, the freight price as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they say um, next week as to, to their performance in the last few months and what their view is on the next uh, the next few months moving forward as well. Um, so keep an eye on that next week. But it's a continuation, Chris, of everything we've seen. Iron ore keeps going to the moon. And, Ooh, and uh, most Alistair, of us feel it shouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, I'm being, uh, Alistair's got a couple points, I think, on this. Well, just, um, just following uh, iron ore um, compared to the uh, Chinese equities, uh, Chinese equities look like there's a fair chance that it might um, print all-time highs this year, um, which was last seen in 2015. Um, we're about 12% off of the all-time highs, which the way iron ore is closely followed... Um, 
Chinese equities for the last year, um, I think there's a fair chance you might see another 10 to 15% on the iron ore price. Yeah, um, I, don't, I, I don't think you're right. I, you know, <laughs> like you were saying, it's hard to sell into, I think, at the moment. Um, whether that whether that happens, uh, it'll be interesting to see. But um, it's got the momentum at the moment, and that could well keep going, especially with, um, especially with the US... Uh, Equities on on a roll probably are going to keep rolling up to uh, election time. Um, I think China will keep going as well. Interesting times ahead. Yeah, I think because at some stage for sure. Yeah, because the DCE, the the Dalian, the onshore domestic exchange is is retail. It's so sentiment driven, and the the offshore, the US dollar product does tend to follow that. So, whatever retail and whatever equity is doing will definitely will definitely flow through. So, yeah. Let's watch it go up and up. I think. Yeah, we'll find out what we're having in next week. Um, Oil-wise, um, somewhat of a, a slow plod upwards. Um, still, we, we popped up from just above forty-three dollars to a little higher uh, than that this morning. Um, people are waiting. I think is the best thing to describe what's happening at the moment with the with the joint monitoring meeting today uh, and all the. Speculation that uh, OPEC are going to be relaxing their cut. They're currently all agreed to uh, be cutting about 9.7 million barrels a day, uh, looking to drop that to around about 7.7 is the expectation. Uh, what they're going to do, you know, prices are increasing, uh, things look better, uh, the economy is starting to come out of lockdown. It, it means that they're looking to try and relax this steadily without trying to trigger some sort of um, massive increase where everyone runs for all the, uh, the new demand. So that's something to watch um, for today. Uh, and also the, the API have done their prediction of US stocks, good indicator of what's happening in terms of uh, American demand. And they again have predicted another pretty hefty, hefty draw over 8 million uh, draw on US cruise stocks uh, compared to analysts, uh, which were interviewed which said that that was going to be around about 2 million. So um, again, very slow, but people are looking at what's going to happen on that. Again, we're seeing that continuation, what we said last week about that uh, real need for those heavier crudes, which has pushed up the prices itself of those kind of residual fuels. The high sulfur fuel oil uh, is definitely seeing uh, really good demand from power generation in Saudi Arabia. Uh, you've seen that crack, the spot cracks gone positive territory. Um, less kind of bullish for the, the, the new very low sulfur fuel oil, uh, which has had a lot of production cutbacks uh, of Asian refiners because, you know, just a wash in Singapore with a lot of, a lot of product there. So the slow march up of, of uh, oil, OPEC are watching to see if they can cut this slowly and guide their group into uh, producing more, but still not affecting prices. And, you know, you, the worst scenario for them would be for everyone starting to increase much more after having what they announced just the, uh, an average compliance of over 100, 107% on their current cut. So it would be terrible for them to come into this, get to the situation, having gone through the whole crisis, uh, and then to um, depress prices with uh, something which I guess is not exactly needed now that they've uh, kind of reined it in. But something to watch uh, on that. I'm sure that in the coming weeks we'll have a, a lot more of a reaction analysis of, of what's happening on the prices. But uh, very range bound and kind of uh, somewhat neutral if you're looking at the technicals as well uh, on oil. So uh, not too much movement. So why don't we go to uh, our final commodity before moving on to our main feature of, of today, the dry freight. Um, reading that we're going to see uh, quite long tonnage lists uh, in the Pacific. 
um, causing traffic congestion. I know we previously talked about the congestion of uh, tankers uh, for uh, off just off uh, China, but um, we're seeing that now in the dry market, which has caused a little spike in the the C five because taking out uh, those vessels which are just kind of stuck there at the moment, and also what we hadn't seen and Kerry pointed out seeing some uh, balusters moving across to Brazil now. So that may start to see a bit more of a of a activity in the Atlantic market, which uh, hadn't previously been there. But uh, yeah, if you look at week on week for the C5 on the Capes, um, we were basically at 30,000 uh, at the time of recording our podcast last week. Uh, and now we've dropped to around about uh, 25 and a half uh, on that, on that spot index. Uh, Panamax is uh, slightly better uh, performance than the, than the Capes, um, slightly up, around about 700 bucks up. So uh, somewhat um, coming off off that high, but as Kerry points out, that it was inevitable that we were going to start coming off after rocketing up uh, from the start of the year, which is so terrible now uh, to those over $30,000 uh, per day rates, uh, which are now dropped back off. So uh, not really surprising what's really happening on the, on the dry freight, no real shocks. And as you pointed out, Tom, uh, no real movements in any of the other commodities, oil or freight to kind of impact that uh, that iron ore price. So uh, it continues on and I'm sure that Kerry will be back next week for some more of our uh, more in-depth talks. But um, also worth noting, uh, talking about commodities rising, um, FERTS-wise, we've seen um, India coming again to tender for, for a large uh, order of that kind of fertilizers. Uh, they are targeting uh, over 1 million tonnes uh, their sales significantly ahead of last year uh, and a record crop production forecast. So really good um, prospects there for India for the, the fertilizer market. And the urea paper has, has reacted as well, rallying up. Traded up $10 across the curve uh, out to the end of the year. Q4 valued at $220 uh, late last week. So a lot of uh, the activity being short, short covering, but um, definitely looking like that market's moving up as well. So why don't we move on to our main feature of our podcast this week. Uh, and Alistair, you have started at FIS, uh, our new cross-commodity execution desk. So I don't know if, where you want to start and give us a brief overview of your, your vision, the purpose of it, and uh, any sort of first thoughts of starting just to put the limelight on you to start. Yeah, so um, six weeks in um, at FIS, actually uh, in the building where I had my first interview 30 years ago when I started for Godso Asti and Pierce, a uh, money market uh, company uh, on the FX option desk. Um, worked in quite a few different products, FX options for 10 years, did a bit of UK power and gas, uh, set a carbon emissions desk up at ICAP, some equities at uh, another company, um, and then some... Three, three to four years of iron ore and a little bit of um, a little bit of coal thrown in as well, um, and now I found myself back in Cannon Street at FIS, and the aim is to set up a desk which will um, cover well primarily funds, but uh, any company that really wants maybe just one point of call for execution across all the FIS products. Um, Speaking to quite a few different people over the years um, at funds, they tend to like uh, just having the one the one person on the chat rather than having to sift through six or seven different um, brokers firing in prices, all different levels, and uh, it just ends up being a lot of noise. And they might miss the good stuff. 
So the way I'm trying to work things will be to um, put in like any decent trades which have which have which have moved maybe um, you know, any 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 decent news and try to keep the chats pretty uh, pretty tidy so it's easier easier to read for um, for the guys who you know who are very busy and uh, and hopefully with um, you know with my my experience and. Um, I should be able to execute any orders we get um, quite quite cleanly and uh, and yeah, sure. Looking forward looking forward to the uh, the new venture. Yeah, it's just good to have you here and uh, definitely liven up the office a bit more. But in terms of your experience, you purport to kind of really enjoy that kind of cross commodity view. And what is it about the kind of cross commodity view that you kind of developed and, and you talk about, which is different from kind of a focus on on a single one? Um, I, th- I think I'm, I'm just I'm really a numbers man. I just I've, I've liked I've looked at uh, even when I was uh, in FX, I was looking at equities from an early age, and I, I just I'm a I'm a numbers guy. Um, so I'm always looking at what's moving. Um, you know, if something moves in in some market, um, there's a good chance I'll be looking at it because uh, that's 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 what I react to. So it's quite it's a perfect um, perfect job for me really because um, I'm because I'm watching so many things. Um, it's uh, yeah, you know, it's 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 very it's very easy if you're just just working on one product just to streamline yourself to that one product and you you miss everything else that's going on because you're so focused on that one product. Where whereas having a sort of broader broader outlook on the, a lot of stuff, it gives you um, gives you an advantage of um, you know sort of uh, learning about a lot of the other products as well. Um, which hopefully will um, sort of benefit me in this in this new role. And you touched on something which you've been looking at uh, earlier in the podcast about uh, Chinese stocks and the relationship it's been pushing to to iron ore products. Um, why yeah. don't we kind of uh, elaborate on that? And you've been looking at the US as well. Yeah, so I, I I've I've never been a, a chartist as such, and uh, I know um, FIS are very big into their um, into their sort of um, technical analysis, um, sort of on, on the short term stuff. I tend to look at long term long term views and watch watch trends and stuff. So uh, yeah, so I mean, you would expect iron ore to be following the Chinese equities, um, and 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 why wouldn't it? But uh, you know, if you if you if you have a Good feeling that the Chinese equities are going to keep going up, which it feels like it might do at the moment. Then you know that's that's why that's why I expect uh, iron ore to, to keep going up, even though it's it's overbought on on the short term on the short term analysis. Um, same with uh, you know the U.S. market. Um, we had the big fall in uh, in late February March. Um, you know, carbon followed the same. Uh, WTI followed, and we got almost got like a, a perfect v-shape for like you know five six different uh, products and they're all sort of like coming back together so there's there's I, I look at the sort of long-term trends and if you if you if you look at these for uh for, for a good duration then you can you can spot when when some of these um products are out of kilter with you know the other three or four and that's when it becomes a buying opportunity or selling opportunity so i'm always looking at those those little those little angles that you know something seems a little bit off, and it might be you know it might be a, a sort of trading idea. I'm, I'm all for the short term analysis, but I, I like to look at long term trends as well, which I think um, you know can can really look after you as well. Just out of interest, Ollie, how do you think? Ex- you know, obviously we always talk about broking being very much relationship business. Are we moving into a realm now where it's execution over relationships? 
or is it a combination of a bit of both? Do some clients tend to, you know, how has execution versus relationship changed in the last 30 years that you've been a broker? Well, the biggest change is uh, a lot of execution is done screen-based now. So the uh, the brokers, um, you know, need to be, you know, the voice brokers need to be you know, better than ever. Um, and I think that's why there's you know, not so many not so many guys around sitting in the seats. Um, so what, uh, you know, the only way we can um, compete with the, uh, with the screens is, you know, have, adding a little bit of colour and also executing cleanly and quickly and, you know, no know exactly you know what you're talking about and where, and where, the, where the prices are and, and you know really being as quick as quick as possible with clean execution um you know it's uh it's a, it's been a it's been a change it's always it's been happening for quite a few years and uh, you know it will, it will continue to change but there's always going to be a place for voice brokers though for sure um but uh you know just everyone's got to be on top of the game yeah it's a it's a, a market which uh, i guess if I was pushing in terms of technological advancement, which has come with with screens, which uh, you know we we had carry um, several weeks coming forward with uh, the the adverts about the uh, the FIS app, FIS app and the ability to look at those cross markets quickly. Um, but uh, again, no, it's something which the fund space is something which we're definitely uh, expanding into, and you're at the forefront of that uh, and cross commodity looking and trying to develop new markets as well. I mean, we we sometimes touch on. Um, some of the new markets that we're looking at be that kind of some of the new the metals or, or air freight um container freight and so developing those new markets will guess bring a new cross commodity opportunities as well for, for things and kind of more holistic view of freight markets uh, and the other related commodities yeah hopefully well i mean i'm certainly going to be pushing um you know well carbon carbon will be a, a product that we will be able to execute uh uh, very cleanly as well. Um, I've got some good um, relationships in that market with uh, guys who will make some some very decent prices in uh, in carbon options. Um, that's that's one uh, one more um, product we can offer to to our customers. Um, and yeah, always looking for new uh, new products as well that we can uh, we can broke uh, to keep to keep ahead of the game. I must say the app is uh, excellent. I really enjoy looking at the app. It's, it's good. <laughs> It's got more numbers on it. <laughs> Certainly, numbers and charts. So we like, and just to point out that the the charts that we were discussing earlier uh, will be put on to our social media. So if you want to take a look at those, they'll be underneath the podcast post. Uh, but any final points uh, from Alex or, or Tom before we finish off for the week? Nothing oh. further from me. Cool. Anything from our special guests? Uh, no, all, all good. Thanks. But cool. hopefully, I'll uh, I'll be around for a few more of these uh, podcasts in the future. Sunday. Well, hopefully we'll bring some uh, more news of things that you're doing and uh, perhaps some uh, other other choice markets that you've been looking at. But again, thank you very much, guys, for joining me, especially to Alistair for joining us, a special guest. Uh, I do hope you join us again next week for listening. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Thank you.